Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. Here we go. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples, his disciples plucked the heads of grain and they ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this when David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how they went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Next verse down, verse six. Now it happened on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and he taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes, or watch this, so the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Are you seeing this unfold? This is amazing right here. But he, but he knew their thoughts. Uh, be careful what you think around Jesus. He kind of knows your thoughts. He knew their thoughts and he said to the man, he knew their thoughts, he said to the man with the withered hand, he said, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, the the Pharisees, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy? And when he looked around at all of them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other one. Now watch verse 11. you got to see this. But they were filled with what? They were filled with what? Come on, they were filled with what? Rage. Why wouldn't they be happy? A man was just healed right in front of them. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is an interesting text because at first glance, you're kind of like, hey, let's just get through this. No big to do. It's disciples in a field. They got hungry. They took some grain. They ate it. And when you look at this, it like people eat, right? What's wrong with that? And then you see the guy who's healed. You're thinking to yourself, it's okay, no big to do there. He violated the Sabbath to heal a guy. Makes sense to me. But this is really a situation happening. There's something going on here that the Pharisees are leaning into, and they're wanting to debate and discuss with Jesus. And so what's unique about this is there's two things he did here. First of all, the disciples ate, which you're thinking that's normal. And then Jesus healed a guy, which makes sense to me, right? Let me give you some context. There's, in Moses' law, there are 613 commandments. 613 commands in Moses' law. All of which, if you put together, actually at times conflicted one another. And so there was an understanding, a provision in Judaism that if any law conflicted with saving a life, you could set the law to the side and you could save the life. So it looks like they're watching this and they're figuring out, well, hey, this guy with the withered hand, he wasn't dying. And the people who were hungry, they weren't going to starve to death. Certainly they could wait one more day. But Jesus is literally in this text, in this short 11 verses, he is literally exposing them for something that must change. They knew all the laws very well, but they missed what mattered 
the most to God. They had the laws down pat, but they failed to connect with what mattered most to God. In fact, when you look at this, I see Jesus hitting on two fronts. First of all, the front of the value of a person. How much does God value a single person? The answer is he values a single person a lot. You know why? Because he sent his son to die for that one person. Never ever question how much God values a human life. How many thank God he valued your life? How many thank God he made a way for you in your sin to come back to him? Yes. And the second thing here is that he is addressing the worthless nature of their understanding of their laws and missing on the heart of God. So I want to go back just briefly to verse 9 just to share it with you one more time to kind of plant the seed because Jesus kind of changed the narrative here from life and death to good versus evil. He says this, he says, I will ask you one more thing, is, is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil or to save a life or to destroy a life? Let me make a statement real fast. In fact, I'm going to say this one, so I have you say it with me. Here, listen close. The laws of God are helpful and not hurtful to humanity. Come on, real fast, out loud together. One, two, three. The laws of God are helpful and not hurtful to humanity. Don't forget that phrase. God's laws are helpful, never hurtful. In that context, the ministry of Jesus was based on the premise of mercy. Mercy was at the very heart of his ministry. Matthew chapter five, verse seven, it says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown what? Mercy. How many thank God that God's given you mercy in this house today? I love these words in the prophet Hosea, Hosea 6, 6. He says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. It, it's, it's not about what you bring as an offering. It's about what's inside of your heart that matters to God. What pleases God the most is a heart devoted fully to him and a life that's characterized and lived out by loving mercy. This is the heart of God. And again, I'm, I'm setting this up because we're, we're understanding the premise of thought behind Jesus' behavior and the religious people in the room, and it's going to come right into your life and into my life. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy. Everybody say love mercy. Love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the heart of God. You know why? Because the laws of God are helpful and not hurtful to humanity. Come on, say it real loud. The laws of God are helpful and not hurtful to humanity. Let's talk about laws. What's a law? Most of us would like to find a place where we can get to heaven and not abide by any laws. We, we would like to find a way to have abs and eat tacos. <laughs> God's laws, again, are helpful, not hurtful. A law is a restriction. A law is a boundary. A law is a rule that you must follow. There is no way to live the life that you choose to live or the life that you define and then expect God to honor that when you defy his laws. This book right here does contain laws within inside of it. There are rules, there are things the Bible is crystal clear on, and there are premises in which you uncover through study, research, and application. But there are clear things in this book the Bible says you cannot do. Let me give it to you simply. There you can even go back to the Ten Commandments. 
You could go back to the basis of God is first. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have what? No other gods before me. And there's more in that list like uh, don't uh, commit adultery. That's one of God's laws. So we look at this book and we begin to realize that God's given us laws indeed. But if we don't understand the heart of God, we can take laws and twist them against humanity when God is providing us laws to care for and to love and to govern humanity. God is a good king over his people. Don't ever forget that phrase today. Each time, though, that we push against God's laws, God's governance, we separate ourselves from God and we empower sin. Every one of us deal with a sinful nature. Every one of us deal with this sense of being desiring for God, yet battling every day in our own life this craving for things outside of God's boundaries or God's laws. And this is where you get the tension and the crossing point of God's laws versus man's laws. Anytime a law of man conflicts with the law of God, you always go with God's law. In fact, Dr. King taught us that a just law versus an unjust law is one that squares with God's law. If it squares with God's law, it is a moral and just law. If it defies God's law, then we don't support that because that's against the laws of God. And being part of God's kingdom means that God is the highest governance in every area of your life. There was this debate, there was this argument going on because what we start seeing in this is that there's a difference in what God values and what we value. And religion has always tried to create this dynamic in which people have to have so many rules to live by. And we've tried to create more rules to get better results. Have you ever noticed yet that you don't get better results by creating more rules for a sinful human heart? In fact, as a sinful human heart, we tend to go against the rules. We also have this dynamic. We tend to notice when somebody else breaks a rule, and we tend to ignore when we break a rule. Have you noticed that yet? It's like when you're driving on the interstate, and someone goes flying right past you, driving crazy. And you say to yourself, where's a cop when you need one? But you never say that when you're going like crazy. There's something about our nature that we live in a duplicit mindset. In fact, the law of God is so critical because this law drives away our duplicity. I love this because I want to create a church where everybody feels like they can come and find God. And I want to create a place in which people who are outside of God's plan and God's word, that they come in and they find how good God is. And I want to create a church in which we don't present people a list of to-dos before they learn who God is and how much God loves them. And that they begin that list after they begin to fall in love with God. Listen, once you fall in love with God, the to-do list is a whole lot easier. Our nature, though, likes to set up rules, and that's the tension here. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys got the rules down, Pat, but you're missing the heart of God. You're missing why we have all this conversation. Again, the laws of God are helpful and not hurtful to humanity. So let's look at this text today and look at this conversation. Let's kind of pull out of it some keys we can learn from Christ's life in this because Jesus shows us, I think, three basic and very important things in this experience. First of all, he shows us value. Second of all, he shows us mercy. 
And third of all, he shows us compassion. For the man who was healed that day, that was a meaningful day. Yes, it wasn't life and death, but it changed his life. For the disciples who were hungry and they ate, you say, Marty, what was the work they performed? They rubbed their hands together. And that was work. And you can't do that on the Sabbath. To the disciples who ate, they were now filled. And that changed that day. Jesus shows us this bigger picture of value, mercy, and compassion. Let's break these down real fast. Value is seeing the image of God on each of us. Each one of us must ask ourselves on a regular basis when we see people, do we see God in that person? God is the creator of mankind. Everything God has given to us, the picture of this room today, if you could see my point of view right now, you would see the beauty of God's creation. When you travel across the, the, the globe, you go to different parts of the world, you go to different countries, see different mountainsides and places, even in our United States, you see different places, and you see the contrast of the highs, the lows, the colors of the earth, and that's what makes life beautiful. And we see that today, that God's image is present in this very room because God is a beautiful God, and God does not come in one shape or size, one skin tone, one gender. God is amazing, and today we see God's presence in this house by looking across the house and seeing the image of God across this place. We see mercy in the conversation. Jesus showed mercy. Mercy upon someone who did not deserve it per se because the rule said you got to heal tomorrow. But that man was hindered that day. He was hurting that day. Jesus shows the power of mercy. Mercy is Christ living through us. If you're going to be a Christ follower and disciple, mercy Mercy, mercy should be at the core of who you are and how you live your life. People who've been given mercy should be the most merciful people on the planet. I thank God today for mercy over my life. Anybody else thankful that God has given you mercy? I certainly am in that case. See, mercy is God's choice to not punish you as you deserved. You don't ever earn God's mercy. You're not good enough. Don't even try to. Mercy is a free gift he gives to you. It's him taking away the punishment that we had coming to us. Mercy is God's deliverance to us from our due punishment at the end of this life. Jesus paid the price. He took all my sin. He took all my shame. And because of him, I've received mercy in my life. Everybody here today has or can receive mercy today from Jesus Christ. What about compassion? Christ followers should be people of deep, deep compassion. We have a tendency in life to look at people who are different than us. We categorize people. Our world loves to categorize people. Our world likes to break us down by religion, ethnicity, economics, gender, and Jesus comes along, he starts showing mercy, he starts showing value, he starts showing compassion and begins to transform their lives and begin to make them think about what they believed. Because compassion is when you see somebody else as if it was yourself. If you've been given anything in life, be sure to be a generous giver. If you're not down and out, be sure to help those who are down and out. Because but it be for the grace of God, that could very well be you today. But we tend to think, hey, that's not my job. That's not my problem. That's not what Jesus shows us. 
Jesus wasn't the guy with the withered hand. He wasn't the guy who was hungry, but he permitted and he healed in both circumstances. Because why? Because he had compassion. See, Jesus lived out his faith. Being a devoted follower means you don't just proclaim stuff on Sunday, you live stuff on Monday. It doesn't mean you just show up in the church and do your deal and raise your hands and sing with a song and sit down when you're told and do this or that. It means that every day you're living faith out because faith that does not meet the needs of somebody else is no faith at all. In fact, if we have faith absent works, the Bible says our faith is dead. Not my words, but the scriptures. And any faith that devalues another human life is not from good, but it's from evil. Here's a question we've got to all think about today. Have we ever let the laws of man be used to help us harm or hinder somebody else? Remember, a just law versus an unjust law, one squares with God's moral law, God's word. The other does not. Our highest governance is right here. In God's kingdom, we don't use the phrase us and them. That is not a kingdom lens. In God's kingdom, it's us. And we're in this thing together. We have one king. We have one Lord. We have one baptism. We have one savior. We have one hope. We have one body. We have one church. We have one congregation. We are one in Christ. And in God's kingdom, we don't allow the world to place us in the categories of the Pharisee and the lame man. We realize that through Christ, we are in this together, and God governs each one of us. Last week, you heard about how to love your enemies. Has anybody ever faced someone that was difficult to love? Put your hand up high. Anybody ever been that person themselves? Put your other hand up high. Give yourselves a high five because you just confess that you're tough to love, as I am some days. When I think about loving my enemies, I got to tell you that that is a challenge. Sometimes people are difficult. Sometimes I'm difficult. Sometimes your friends are difficult. Sometimes you're the one that's difficult. But how many thank God that he loved you while you were difficult in your sinful trespasses? How many thank God that he loved you so much he gave his son for you? See, when you look at this kind of stuff, you look at today's conversation, we, we move from loving our enemies to figuring out how to be God's presence on the earth today, be Jesus in the middle of life. Jesus lived out something in his faith by giving people dignity. Look at who he talked to. A woman of ill repute, sick people, lost people, sinful people, tax collectors. We could go on. He gave everybody dignity. We could do the same thing today. We also see in this story that when we look at somebody else as Jesus did, do we see the image of God on somebody else? I'm going to say this a thousand times. We are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God's on each one of us today. We carry his image. We are image bearers. And that's why it's so critical that when you go out in the community, when you go out in the marketplace this week, that that you live a life that glorifies God with everything you do because people do know who you are. People know what you do. They know who you are. They know what you believe. They follow you. And the last thing I want to ask is when you look at somebody else, 
do you see yourself in somebody else's difficulty? Don't ever look past someone who's hurting or broken or going through a difficult time and act indifferent to their situation. But it be for the grace of God, that could be me or you. We tend to look at people and judge them. Well, they deserve it. They did this. They did that. They did this. They did that. And we forget that much of our journey is outside of our own control. It's much outside of our own world paradigm. And so we want to live a life that is always thankful and grateful and generous. James says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your what? Your tongue. Anybody found a challenge in controlling your tongue? My sin point is not my feet. It's not my hands. It's not my ears. It's not my eyes. It's this member that's right inside my mouth. The James says, if you control that, you're a perfect man. Now, why is this coming in this context? One of the greatest things we can do to bring people into Christ is use our words to speak life. Not to critique, not to condemn, but we don't start off by reminding folks how bad they are. We start off by telling folks how good God is. And then when they realize the goodness of God, they begin to see that they're unclean. They begin to see that something has to change. It doesn't do any good to kick off a person's spiritual journey by saying, hey, you're really bad at this. You're really sinful. You're really dirty on the inside. They already know that. They know life is bad. They know that life is gritty. They know that life is dirty. They, they know that something's wrong and something's missing. But if we're not careful, we'll be like the Pharisees on the Sabbath day watching the grain get picked and watching the guy get healed. 